0: It's easier to align people's actions, activities, job responsibilities around that brand promise. So everything you're doing reinforces that positive element of the culture, and the output is you naturally get you know, employees with the right tools, resources, etc., who are passionate about helping. In my case, helping people grow great plants. You know, but you could go to other businesses and whatever that business is, if there's clarity about the experience they're trying to deliver. And everything they do in the organization is aligned around delivering that experience. And part of that alignment is is hiring employees who love to do whatever that thing is. Right.
1: You're going to have great success. Helping you create loyal customers and loyal employees all through the power of simplicity. This is the Simple Brand Podcast, now heard around the world including New Delhi India I'm your host Matt Lyles and this week I'm talking with Jeff Toyster Jeff's a customer experience and customer service consultant and trainer who helps organizations develop customer focused cultures he's been recognized as one of the top 30 customer service professionals in the world by global gurus and More than 1 million people have taken his training courses on LinkedIn Learning, so you know he knows a thing or two about customer experience. And Jeff's a best-selling author of four customer experience books, including The Guaranteed Customer Experience, How to Win Customers by Keeping Your Promises. Now, if you've been listening to the Simple Brand Podcast for a while, then you know that the best way for your brand to stand out is through the experience you deliver. But what if you could guarantee your customers an amazing experience and then deliver on that promise every time? The guaranteed customer experience turns the concept of a guarantee on its head. An experience guarantee goes beyond merely providing a warranty against any product defects or failures. It actually encompasses the entire customer journey to promise an experience that never falls short of expectations. So Jeff and I discuss his lessons to help you do just that. And not just with your customer-facing teams, but with every single team across your organization. So here it is. Here's my interview with Jeff Toyster. Hey, Jeff.
0: Welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Nice to meet you. I guess in
1: person or virtually or however we're meeting and yeah, thanks for having me. Virtually. Yeah. It, it, it is great to see you. Well, so I have loved digging into your lessons, especially around a you know, guaranteed customer experience. And now, so I've heard of price guarantees. I've heard of product warranties and I've heard of, and I've even, you know, worked on brand promises, but Before your book, I don't think I've even heard of a guaranteed customer experience. So what is an experience guarantee? Well, it's good that you're already
0: familiar with different kinds of guarantees because an experience guarantee is is taking that same framework and just applying it to any aspects of the customer experience. So more specifically, the idea is that we can win and retain customers simply by keeping our promises, doing what we say we're going to do. And you know the example would be marketing fires up this new promotion. They want to email it out to every customer. Is operations ready for that? Can yeah. they execute that promotion? And is customer service aware of it? Can they answer the questions that are going to come from that promotion? So it's really just a framework to tie all of that together. I think what's even more important is is how does this help companies Stand apart, and how do they win and retain more customers? And the challenge is that companies routinely let their customers down. I, I did some research and found that just this week, twenty one percent of Americans have been let down by a product or service that they've purchased. and And an example is: I was traveling last week, and a, a week, a day or two before I arrive at the hotel, probably someone in marketing sends an email: "Hey, save time, skip the line at checkout." Use our mobile app. Okay, so now I have an expectation of what my experience will be like. Now we know what happens. I get to the hotel, mobile app doesn't work. And I find out that that hotel isn't set up to use the mobile app program that marketing at corporate is promoting. So we've got a broken promise. And that's how my experience begins. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that too. So an experience guarantee helps us make sure we're not creating those problems for our customers.
1: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that promise can be broken um, in a number of areas. And sometimes it's just simply maybe it's the front line or the employees who are just not doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. Or sometimes maybe to your point or your situation, it's that the people that were supposed to be uh, delivering on that promise don't even have the ability to do that. And a lot of times it's, it's not having the ability
0: and it, it, that's the problem because who, who absorbs the brunt of it? You know, at the hotel, it's the person who's checking me in, you know, hi, welcome. And I'm like a little upset that I had to wait in this line that I was told I would not have to wait in. And my first question is, why does your mobile app not work? Now I had to pull back, make sure I was being fair to that person, but I think the average guest probably blames that person who had nothing to do with making that promise but they're the ones who have been set up for failure because they have to somehow make it right. It's a tough position to be in.
1: It is. And a lot of times customers will, you know, look at that individual you know, like, uh, like let's, let's just say their name is Nate. Let, let's say that this frontline employee's name is Nate Brown. <laughs> and the app doesn't work and they say, Nate, your app isn't working. It's not the company's app or the brand's app. It's your app. I love that reference to our
0: our mutual friend and customer experience superstar, (laughs) Nate Brown. And I know Nate would have a a great response to that. But in that situation, it triggers something. It's a natural instinct called the fight or flight instinct. Right. In in any other situation, you have this angry, unreasonable person in front of you, blaming you for something you didn't do. We either fight them, hopefully not physically, but argue with them or flee, flight. And at customer service, we're told, hey, your job is to make that person happy, and that goes against our very instincts as humans. We can certainly learn how to do that. I'm sure our friend Nate Brown would do a great job in that situation, but of course it's not would. easy and, and it's just better for companies not to put their employees in that position to begin with
1: right yeah, because you you know i I can only imagine you know uh. Maybe the the campaign goes out and everyone in the corporate office, like the whole marketing team through a big pizza party and celebration or whatever else, they're all clapping each other on the back and high fiving. Yeah, we got the campaign out. We did it. And then at the same time, you get your frontline employees getting yelled at by customers because it's not working. Absolutely. And that happens all the time. And it's it's funny you mentioned about like
0: the marketing team kind of <laughs> celebrating And marketing folks, we are not here to pick on you at all, but there are those disconnects. There's a a popular uh, meal delivery service. I will not name them, but about a year or so ago, somebody got this brilliant idea that we're going to send out a promotion to all of our users in New York City and give them a $10 credit for their lunch order today. (laughs) We just didn't bother to tell any of the restaurants that we're going to be participating. So- From a metric standpoint, like orders spiked through the roof. Everybody suddenly had $10 to spend on lunch. None of the participating restaurants were aware of it. None of them had approved this. And they got hammered with orders that they were unable to fulfill. And guess who got yelled at? It was all these restaurants. Some of them had to shut off online ordering because they simply couldn't handle it. Others had to make customers wait for hours. They're getting negative Yelp reviews. Their reputation's taking a hit. And we go back to, well, hey, our response rate to that campaign was through the roof. We must have been doing something good, right? So that kind of disconnect is
1: terrible. Yeah. We love you, marketing. It's not always your fault. I promise. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I think that the fault really is is not in one team or another, but maybe it's how it's in how the teams are set up in their own silos. Without that proper communication and that proper flow going throughout all those teams, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's and often we look at these different
0: departments, they measure success differently, they have different definitions of success, right? Uh, they have, in many ways, no incentive to collaborate with each other because they have such different goals and and one of the ways that you fix that, we get back to, you know, how does a guarantee, an experience guarantee help you? It's we have one definition of success. We're keeping our promises. We have one set of metrics that all of our departments are trying to hit to, together. And you often see much more collaboration when everybody is working towards the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Every, everyone, and it it's so incumbent on leadership to make sure that it is absolutely clear that This is what the experience looks like. And not only that, you, your team, and you as an individual, this is what your role is in delivering on that experience.
0: And you bring up, I think, what is probably a foundational issue is, have we defined what a great experience looks like for our customers? And in many cases, the answer is no. Or if we have we we have a maybe a statement i call it a customer experience vision but there's you know customer experience mantra brand promise you name yeah. it but that, those statements are often so wordy they're useless or they don't really talk about customers they talk about what we're going to do not what outcomes we're going to achieve uh for the customers and and i think it's magical what happens when you define it so as an example one brand i really love is Armstrong Garden Centers. Uh, I'm based in Southern California. It's a chain of nurseries, primarily in Southern California. Their brand promise is gardening without guesswork. And instantly, you can see how that resonates. Like for me, who is really good at killing plants, not on purpose, but I'm just not a great gardener. Armstrong is telling me clearly, hey, we're going to make you a great gardener. We're going to help you grow that garden of your dreams. But not only that, and this goes back to an experience guarantee, they execute. I, a couple of years ago, I was so tired that I couldn't grow tomatoes in my my backyard garden. I kept killing them. And so I walk into Armstrong, probably pretty pitiful, saying, I, I'm, a, I'm a tomato killer. I have to admit it. And I want to reform. Can you help me grow tomatoes? And I, I'll never forget an employee named Andrew who knew a lot about tomatoes, helped me pick the right plants, helped me figure out where exactly to put them. How to care for them in my yard? I've got one plant. It's now year three. It's still a heavy producer. Most tomato plants make it a few months. You got to pull them. Yeah. Three years of constantly awesome tomatoes, and so it goes back to that brand promise. Why do I love Armstrong gardening without guesswork? Yeah, that's exactly what they delivered.
1: Oh wow! Con- well, congrats on three years. <laughs> um, but and as- and as you know, with with what I like to teach, I love to teach simplicity in the customer experience, making it simple for customers. So I love that brand promise right there. I get it. Gardening can be overwhelming. I don't do that much because I, I, I'm i going to kill whatever I try to, to grow. So the fact that that's their promise, that makes me think, oh, you know what? They're going to make it simple for me. And I think that's one of the things that that resonates
0: about that message that I know is so near and dear to you, that simplicity is You know, here's a test. I think any of your listeners can do this: is go to any company's website and ask yourself, in the first look at their homepage, can I figure out what the heck they do? Okay, now go to your website and try to imagine you're a customer. Can you look at their website and, in the very first glance, figure out what the heck they do? And and to your point about simplicity, often we we create so many confusing messages, but we don't speak with clarity to customers, like. Here's what we can do. Here's
1: the problem we can help you solve right yeah, and just making it easy and make it, well making it simple for the customer to recognize, oh, this is exactly what they do, and this is exactly how they can help me. Well, so we've talked about one of the elements that go into a guaranteed experience is the promise. you know a lot of times it starts with say marketing or somebody else that says, you know here's the promise that we want to communicate out." But there are a couple of other elements that go into the guaranteed experience. Can you walk through those? Absolutely. Uh,
0: There's three elements to an experience guarantee. The first, as you said, is the promise. And that is, we often think of that as coming from marketing or sales. It could really come from anywhere. It's any promise you make to a customer. The second element is action. We have to keep that promise. So I talked about Armstrong Garden Centers earlier. Just a few things they do to make me a better gardener, they select plants and sell plants that are guaranteed proven to grow in my environment. So they don't sell plants that are gonna quickly die in my neighborhood. They have extremely knowledgeable employees who can guide customers through the right plant selection, placement, et cetera. And, and they have online tutorials, classes, blogs, et cetera, all aimed at helping me become a better gardener. So it's it's that action that's designed to execute the promise that's essential. The third step is recovery. It doesn't matter how great your company is, there will always be sometimes when something goes wrong, at least in the eyes of the customer. And and a service failure really is a a breach of trust. The customer isn't sure if they can trust you again. And so recovery is really about restoring trust. And just to go back to Armstrong, because they do a great job of that, I've got an Armstrong with a picture of a plant and said, what's going on with this plant, right? Trust has been breached a little bit. I'm not really blaming them, but I have this gnawing kind of insecurity about not being able to grow plants. And I go in Armstrong and say, this plant, this situation, and they're so great about diagnosing the issue and helping me get that plant thriving again, which is really what recovery is like. Oh, now I know I can trust them to make sure things are going together. To to work in the future. So it's promise, action, and recovery. And the shorthand is you just want to keep things on par with your customer.
1: Yeah, there you go. Well, as it relates to Armstrong, it sounds like along with those three elements, there is that culture element tied in as well, where... at least with the employees that you've dealt with there, you know Andrew and whoever else that looked at your image and diagnosed what was going on, it sounds like, like they were generally interested in, number one, in the work that they do, but then number two, interested in you as an individual. Absolutely. And, and culture
0: is another kind of huge topic, but to make it simple, culture is defined as what people collectively do in an organization. And so if you're operating around, let's say, a clear brand promise, it becomes easier to attract employees who are excited about that prime promise, who feel good representing that. It feels easier to train people on how to execute that brand promise. It's easier to align people's actions, activities, job responsibilities around that brand promise. So everything you're doing reinforces that positive element of the culture and the output is you naturally get you know, employees with the right tools, resources, etc., who are passionate about helping, in my case, helping people grow great plants. You know, but you could go to other businesses and whatever that business is, if there's clarity about the experience they're trying to deliver and everything they do in the organization is aligned around delivering that experience, and part of that alignment is, is hiring employees who love to do whatever that thing is, Right. you're going to have great success
1: is there an ideal way to make sure that that promise is clear across the board, across every single team? There, there are a few ways. And I think we could look at um, three
0: stages, if you will. Uh, First is development. So as we're developing a promise, we really want to test to make sure that that promise is something we could execute. And I'll give you a simple example. Uh, A Airport shuttle service advertised a shuttle would go to drop off at the airport every 20 minutes. They made that promise without ever driving the actual route. (laughs) 20 minutes was impossible. Typical time was 30 minutes. So when you're designing a process or a product or anything, you want to design to make sure that promise actually matches what you can deliver. So that's that's the design process. Uh, The next step, is actually an execution. You have to align your operations around delivering that promise consistently. So for the shuttle service, it's making sure we have the right number of shuttles, right drivers, everything's in good operating condition, et cetera. And then the third is is when the promise is broken, we have to do an after action review to figure out why. Yeah. And too often, those broken promises are just dismissed without really discovering, is this systemic? Is this an issue that is likely to happen again in the future? And so I advocate what I call a promise audit. And that is just look at, you can start anywhere in your organization at an organization level, a product level, even an individual level. Look at a promise that's been broken and work backwards. What was the promise made? What action are we taking to keep it? And and why were we not able to keep it? And in many cases, you'll find it's not a one-time thing. It's not a fluke. It's systemic. And you can use that one data point to identify a much bigger problem. Fix it, now you've created better experiences.
1: Yeah, so did, does that relate to something that I've heard you talk about before? Does that relate to that uh, that iceberg principle? Oh, that's a good pull. Absolutely. The iceberg being, you know, the the thing that you
0: see above the surface is much smaller And not nearly as gnarly as what you see below the surface. And, and, you know, I'll give you a great example of this. So, uh, as a frequent traveler, I think having the right suitcase is incredibly important. And so, a brand that I've trusted for years is called Briggs & Riley. Yeah. And what I love about Briggs & Riley is they design suitcases for people like me who are on the road a lot, who go through a lot of wear and tear, lots of mileage, and not only are they thoughtfully designed, they're designed to be durable. But one of the things that goes into that design is they understand when you put a lot of miles on a bag, repairs are unavoidable. I mean, they last longer than their competitors, but at some point, something will wear out. Right. So they designed the bag to be easier to repair. So as an example, instead of rivets that a lot of manufacturers use, which cost less money, they use screws. Because the screw is easier to pull out really quickly, change a quick part, like a handle or a wheel, screw it back in. It adds a little bit of cost, but it makes it easier for them to repair. Now, the really cool thing is they just released last year a new line of suitcases for an updated line. And one of the things they did with designing that line of suitcases, they looked at their repairs. In other words, they were looking, they're doing that promise audit. Right. It broke. What was it like to repair this? So they made sure they made the pieces that broke more durable. So they were less likely to break. And they were also easier to repair. Now, Briggs and Riley went even farther than that. They talked to their customer service team. What questions do you get? What do people complain about? And they even talked to their customers directly. But here's the interesting thing. They, they watched customers in airports and other places. Because sometimes we can't articulate the problems we're trying to solve. As an example, if you put your suitcase in an overhead bin, you probably have never thought about how you pull that suitcase out. But the design team at Briggs & Riley thought a lot about watching passengers getting out of a plane. You pull that suitcase out. Often, the handle is at the far end of the bin. So they put a little handle on the bottom of the suitcase right under the wheels so that if you're grabbing that suitcase, you could pull it out. And that design came from observing customers. So they take all of that data together and then make really awesome suitcases. And that's, you know, that's why I'm a fan.
1: I love that. And a lot of companies will talk about, you know, voice of customer efforts. Well, let's just talk to our customers and hear from them. That's valuable. It's valuable to listen to your customers. I don't think that enough brands do the other step that is as equally valuable. And that's observing them because a lot of times what a customer says and what they actually do may not always be the same. There, there are some things that you can observe from a customer that they that are just unconscious or they may not be able to articulate. No, and that's, that's very true. Uh,
0: I don't think most of us think about, like, how do I get off an airplane and the design of my suitcase, does that make that faster or better? Uh, and we certainly, you're right, we're not going to put that in a survey. Yeah. I, I think really companies are, in many ways over reliant on surveys today. It's such a narrow slice of data and it's data that's easily gamed. But just looking at even the reasons your customers contact you, you know, what promises are being broken or measuring your promises. You know, going back to the airport shuttle. If we promise 20 minutes, how hard is it to measure how often we hit 20 minutes? Yeah. It's not. And, and if if the company had started doing that, they would have figured out, oh, the answer is zero. We've never hit 20 oh, yeah. minutes unless we run people over. And that's probably bad. So we need to adjust our promise or adjust our operations.
1: Well, then so looking at it that way, so sometimes it's it's making sure that your promise is realistic based on your own capabilities. Other times, I think it's about making a promise that's actually relevant to your customers, a promise that they actually want. So how can you make sure that your promise is relevant to them? It's funny you bring that up because
0: uh, for your listeners um, who don't know this, but Matt, you and I do, before we start our conversation today on air, we were talking about a place that we both love called Bucky's. Yes. And for yes. listeners, yeah. it, if you don't know Bucky's, it is a chain of gas station convenience stores. If I told you I have one Bucky's t-shirt, I would be lying to you because I have three. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? I'm a fan. Now, why would I be repping a gas station convenience store who is not paying me to tell you how awesome they are? Right. Because they've gotten really good at a very relevant promise. And the way they've crafted this is they understand fundamentally what problem does their customer most care about solving? So let's back this down a little bit. Right. Their target customer is a road trip traveler. You're on yep. a road trip, you need to make a stop. And what do customers need on a road trip? And man, I know you've got a road trip coming up. You're making a stop. Like, what do you need on a road
1: trip? Why do you stop? Well, so, I mean, a couple of things, you, you know, you want to get gas to fill up your car. You want to just rest, stretch your legs for a moment. But yep. the table stakes with all of this, the minimum requirement needs to be a good, clean restroom.
0: That's it. That's it. And apparently no other gas station brand has figured this out. And there's some really sketchy gas station restrooms out there. I bet you've done it. I know I've done it where you start slowing down and you're kind of sizing it up. Like, should I stop? Can I make it 10 miles farther? Yeah. So Bucky's gets that top of the list, as you said, is a clean restroom. And so their promise, the way they get you to stop is we have the world's cleanest gas station restrooms. That's the promise. Now, we we take this guaranteed experience model. That promise is no good if they don't deliver. Turns out right. a lot of gas stations promise clean restrooms. Bucky's actually delivers. So they take that action. Yeah. The 46% of Yelp reviews about Bucky's talk about how great the restrooms are. Yeah. Which is kind of insane. And it's it's all it's from a design standpoint. The typical Bucky's restroom has, you know, for in the men's room, like maybe 20 urinals, 20 yeah. stalls. It's it's huge. In the women's room, it's very similar. You have like maybe 30 stalls. There's an employee constantly on patrol, keeping everything well stocked, keeping it clean.
1: There's a it's, restroom attendant. There right? is. And not the creepy kind
0: who has like <laughs> yeah. perfume and mints, but the person who's actually keeping that promise yeah. right there in front of you, which is also part of the recovery. They're never going to run out of anything. And and so it's it's amazing because they do all the other things really, really well. They have a yeah. better selection of snacks. They have more room than the typical gas station convenience store to stretch your legs. Uh, by the way, Bucky's gas prices on average are, are less than their competitors. Yeah, They don't advertise that lower price because price is what you talk about when you have nothing left to talk about. Wow. They get you to come in the door with that clean restroom and you know you can count on them. And here's the amazing thing about Bucky's. On average, an average Bucky's location gets four times as many customers as their nearest competitors and they have better margins and they do a lot of things really well their brand promise is clean friendly and in stock that's really really simple but it starts with those clean resters that's how they get people to come in the door and to keep coming back on every single road trip
1: that's it and and they're not afraid to talk about that either you know like, you, like you'll you'll see all all their billboards on the road and they have a few different messages, a few different themes, but one of the major message themes is around the restrooms, and it's usually in a humorous <laughs> manner too. I think it is. Uh, one one of them I saw, I think, was um, and and I hope I get this right. Top two reasons to visit Bucky's: <laughs> n- number one and number two. <laughs> and they're they're
0: fantastic. They they definitely capture your attention. Yeah, and they speak to that problem, which I, which go back to your question, like, yeah, how do you create a relevant promise? You have to understand what problem your customer's truly t- trying to solve. Bucky's gets that it's yeah. restrooms at uh, Armstrong, which I talked about earlier. They get that. I want to be a better gardener. Yeah. There's a, it's, it's funny. Cause I know your mantra is, is simple. There's a, a coffee shop that I wrote about in the book called simple. It's the same name. And they understand they they can't compete with Starbucks. They can't out Starbucks, Starbucks. Right. So what problem are they going to solve other than a convenient cup of coffee? They've created an environment where you can hang out and meet a friend. There's always plenty of space. It's a good vibe. There's very comfortable tables. Or if you'd like to get some work done, almost every table has an outlet next to it. And they've created this kind of chill vibe. And they have really good coffee on top of it, but they realize you you can't out Starbucks, Starbucks, but I could solve a different problem for a different kind of customer and create a
1: more relevant promise
0: then by saying,
1: it's the place where you hang out. We're going
0: to keep things simple.
1: Yeah. So making the promise about the environment, you know, here's the environment that we can offer you. And that's our promise. And then coffee next. That's it. And their coffee is better than Starbucks. That's
0: subjective, I know. Um, and the interesting about Starbucks is that one of the reasons that they've grown to such a size is what problem are they fundamentally solving? Today, Starbucks solves the problem of, I need a convenient cup of coffee. Everything Starbucks is around solving the issue of convenience. And the interesting thing about that, I, I did some off-the-books independent research, hanging out in different Starbucks locations. And that convenience is so important to customers that if the line at a Starbucks gets to be eight people or more, the number of people who walk in the door, see the line, turn right back around and walk out, increases substantially because there's a perception that when the line gets that long, it's no longer convenient. Absolutely. Now, using the app kind of changes the, the dynamics of that a little bit because if I order on the app, obviously, I'm not waiting in line to pay. I can't right. see the line. The line's virtual now. But when there's a physical line, it hits eight people, I've seen this at multiple Starbucks locations, that convenience promise is now broken in the minds of customers and they leave. And I think that's one of the reasons that Starbucks has been so successful with drive through, with their app, other convenience features is they're trying to avoid that line of eight people during the morning rush hour so that their perception of convenience remains
1: intact. Of course. And I'm curious if if that's their intent now, if that's their intent to focus more on convenience than the environment where you can hang out and get work done, or a good tasting cup of coffee, which it's not necessarily. i I, I was talking with somebody else recently about a Starbucks in their town, and then right across the street is a Dutch brother's coffee and he said he'll look at starbucks he'll, he'll look at starbucks and there's not many people in there but he'll look at at dutch brothers coffee and that there's a line out the door so these are the people that don't really care like you know what it's i'm not here for the convenience i'm here for the experience absolutely and and you could probably figure
0: out how both of those businesses can exist coexist because the problem those customers are trying to solve is probably a little bit different. And, and I think that's the, you know, going back to the question you asked earlier, Right. you know, we, we create meaningful promises by really understanding our our customers and being really good at pinpointing a problem they care about solving that we can solve really, really well. You can't be all things to all customers, but if you can find one problem you can consistently solve well, you could probably create a meaningful business around
1: that yeah yeah and and so whether it's clean restrooms, convenient coffee, simplifying gardening, it's finding out like what's that one thing, that one problem and being able to double down on that, and then you can start to add on whatever else you want and to your point that often companies
0: decide not to add on, so we go back to Buckys right uh, they you will find Buckys in a downtown urban environment because that's they don't have road trip travelers there. Right. You also Bucky's has resisted the temptation to become a truck stop, so you won't see semis pulling in to Bucky's. Which correct? There's a lot of business there, but they just they demands uh, a truck stop needs a whole host of different types of services. Yeah. Completely different. And they're what they're saying is we're just not going to be great at that. So sorry, folks, but trucks aren't allowed at Bucky's. So they've made choices based upon what problem they can solve and what problem they are not going to be solving
1: quite as well. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it helps define here's the type of customer. Here's who we serve and here's who we really don't serve. Absolutely. and And you see that in a lot of other industries
0: where different businesses are really focused on one particular type of customer and that helps them do so well.
1: Yeah. All right, so we've talked about the promise. We've talked about being able to deliver on that promise through your actions and making sure that that this is a promise that's relevant to your customer but no matter who you are you know no no matter what your company is you're not going to be able to deliver on that promise a hundred percent of the time you're going to fail some of the times so what happens when you fail how do you recover i think it's
0: really important for us to understand that recovery is about restoring trust and what do we have to do to rebuild that confidence? It goes back to a few things. First, what problem was that customer actually trying to solve? Next, you know how can we empathize with the customer and understand what feelings that problem is creating? And the third then is how do we make an effort to solve that problem or prove to the customer we can solve that problem as easily as possible. And and let me give you an example. Yeah. My wife and I used to own a vacation rental cabin in a remote mountain village. And when you're in a remote area, you depend on propane to get your, uh, heat your, heat your home and for cooking. Well, one winter, very cold winter, we monitor our propane levels and We missed a delivery. We were supposed to be on this service where they kept us top off. You wouldn't have to worry about it, right? That's a nice promise. But the delivery driver didn't deliver propane to us when we expected. So we call customer service. So that's that's a service failure. Unfortunately, what the person was focused on was missed delivery. So we'll get you on the schedule for the next one. But that's not the problem we were trying to solve. And I bet you and your listeners can guess it's, I don't want to run out of propane Yeah, because this is a business. My guests won't be able to heat the cabin or cook food. That's really, really bad. The problem I'm trying to solve is to not run out of propane. So service recovery, it took us a long time. I had to get someone from corporate involved. It was a big mess. Oh, wow. The service recovery from the beginning should have looked at, we've got you. You're not going to run out of propane. And and it it turned out that they had a, a, formula for estimating how much propane we had left in the tank but their formula was way off we had more guests than normal that year we've been doing really well and it was a colder winter than normal so we had used way more more propane than average and they were relying on a faulty calculation to to feel like it's not that urgent and once they discovered how much propane we actually had we were actually within about a week of running out Oh. They finally got a truck to show up and, and top us off, but it started by not truly understanding the problem that we were trying to solve. So when we come to service recovery, you have to understand the problem first and foremost, and your service recovery has to focus on, you can trust us. This is not going to happen again. We've got you.
1: Yeah. And so I think there's a couple of things. You can trust that it's not going to happen again, but you can also trust us that we will take care of you right now. Absolutely.
0: And and I think one of the mistakes that that I think a lot of companies, a lot of employees make, quite frankly, is we immediately just default to kind of a half-hearted apology, and maybe a discount. I mean, how many times you gone out to a restaurant and, you know, the meal's just been okay. And they're like, well, we'll cop your dinner or we'll offer you a dessert or w- but that's not the problem you're trying to solve. I think we use discounts too much. And, and I'll give you an example. My favorite, favorite restaurant, if you ever come to San Diego, the best Italian food in San Diego comes from a restaurant called Antica Trattoria. The food's amazing. Service is amazing. One time, several years ago, I ordered lasagna, which is my favorite. Their lasagna is outstanding. The nice. server comes over to me and he says, how's, how's your lasagna tonight, Jeff? I said, it's okay. And he picked up on that because he, he really wanted yes. to know the answer to the question. He's like, just, just okay. I, I know you love this lasagna. What's going on? I'm like, it's, it's not as good as it usually is. Hold on a moment. He goes and he gets the chef owner. So the, the chef and the owner comes to talk to me. He's like, what do you mean you don't like the lasagna? You love the lasagna. I'm like, yeah, but just <laughs> not tonight. So notice that just the honesty, the sincerity, they actually wanted to know how I felt. They weren't just asking the question. Right. Open the door for me, maybe reluctantly at first, to be a little honest. As we talked about it, the chef who was not in the kitchen that night, so he was really playing more of the role of owner, figured out he had a new cook on the line who hadn't quite mastered the lasagna recipe. Oh, wow. And so if he if had never taken the chance of, of asking me the question, caring about my answer, probing a little bit deeper, how many more lasagnas were they going to put out of the kitchen that night that were subpar, disappointing so many other people? And so that was in the moment, service recovery, really getting to the heart of it. And immediately they were able to go back to this new chef and say, hey, let's make an adjustment to how you're preparing the lasagnas. And there's no discount required. There's there's no free dessert required. It's as a customer, I just want to share this feedback and now you've made it better. I trust that you're going to get it right the next time.
1: And guess what? Spoiler alert. Of course they did. The lasagna is amazing. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's so many things to unpack right there, but to me, the very first thing was actually really listening to you when you said, okay. Um, because, you know, if, if we ask somebody like, well, what do you think of this? And if they say, it's okay, it's fine, that's a red flag. Like you need to recognize, okay, stop everything. Why is it only okay? Why is it just a uh, a meh experience here and really digging into that. I I think I've had a couple of times where it was either at a restaurant or somewhere else where someone would come by and ask me, well, well, how how are you doing? Like, how, how's your experience? And I'll say, it's all right. And they say, Oh, great. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm like, wait, I, I don't think you even just heard what I said. Or have you had them try to
0: engineer it where they would say, don't you love your meal tonight? Or oh. is your meal fabulous? So they're almost leading you to, right. uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: I don't want to hurt your feelings. So sure. Well, it's, it's, it's like these, you know, we, we, we talked earlier about surveys. It's like these surveys that say, we'd love for you to give us an eight or higher. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, I, I guess so. But, or, or if, if you're looking at survey results and you see, oh, you know what? There's nothing out of, out of a, out of a zero to five stars there's nothing below a three. So we're doing great.
0: You know, I, you brought up sur- surveys and I'm glad you did because, you know, earlier we were talking about the disconnect between different sets of goals. Yeah. And the behavior you're describing, I call it survey begging when the, the employee yes. says, Hey, Matt, would you give me a, a nine or a 10 on that survey? And and it probably doesn't mean much to you, but I just wanted to let you know, I, I, I don't get paid as much if you give me a bad score on the survey. Right. And I'm trying to put my kids through college and put food on my table. And so it it only takes a minute of your time. A nine or a 10 would just be appreciated. That's survey begging. It's horrible. But why would the employee do that? Well, they do that because they're given an incentive or a disincentive around survey scores, not around creating great experiences, but around survey scores. So an example, you've probably experienced it. Your listeners have experienced it. You go to a car dealership. Survey begging happens all the time at a car dealership. but why? The reason is those employees, their bonus or their compensation or their commission is tied to getting nines and tens. An eight really is a failure. Too many, you lose money. Too many more, you get fired. Now, why does the dealership do that? Because the car companies tie their performance to survey scores. They allocate, for example, the best new cars to the dealer's with the highest survey scores. So there's a built-in incentive to game the system. It's not about feedback at all. It's about score chasing. And it creates this fundamentally disconnected service where the person cares more about getting a nine or 10 on the survey than actually providing you with a great experience. And frankly, I don't blame them.
1: I wouldn't blame them at that level. Uh, I blame the brand. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens is, sure, you know, a customer may be guilted into providing, you know, a nine or a 10, but will that customer come back? Maybe not. Maybe not. And and some of these are just ridiculous. I, I saw one where like nine or
0: like outstanding was six on the scale of zero to 10 and nine or 10 was truly exceptional. And the survey was for an oil change. And you say, all right, well, what makes this oil change truly exceptional? It's an oil change. Like, shouldn't you be asking, like, do I intend to come back? Or uh, how did you feel about the service today or anything? But if you don't give us truly
1: exceptional as oil change, we're all going to get fired. That No one wants that kind of pressure. That's just weird. My kids are going to go hungry if you don't give a nine or a 10. <laughs> are you that kind of animal? Don't
0: you care about other people? Give me a yeah. nine.
1: Well, so we have walked through the experience guarantee process and 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 the elements. Um, but what I think is cool, you know is um when it comes to the lessons I teach, I always try to practice what I preach. I try to make sure that everything that I do, I'm delivering simple experiences. And it seems like you're the same way because when it comes to your book, you actually have a guarantee that you've placed in your book. Can you share that here?
0: I can. Uh, So one thing I do in every book I write is I put my personal contact information, my personal phone number, so you can call or text me, my personal email. So in the Guaranteed Customer Experience, you will find my personal information there. It goes right to me. But I definitely decided to take it a next step further. If I'm writing a book about guarantees, I have to walk the talk. Yeah. And so the guarantee simply says that if you implement the concepts in this book and you are not satisfied with the increase in new customers and customer retention, then you can schedule one hour block of time, one-on-one. And we're going to walk through that model together and see if we can resolve it. And, And I even have provided a link on my website that people can use to schedule it. So there are no claim forms or any of that business. It's just you kind of, your honesty saying, yeah, I tried to implement it and it hasn't worked for me yet. And, and including that guarantee, I think it's done a couple of things for me. One, I'm glad that you noticed because it it, it is, I, I'm kind of putting myself out there saying I really do believe in this. But two, I had to write a better book because if I wrote a crap book right. or described a process that didn't work, I'm going to be letting people down. And, and so- the secret, I think, for your listeners, part of having a guarantee is you don't want to have to actually use that guarantee very often. Yeah. You just want to design better products and services so you don't need it. And that's the third thing I can tell you that the book's been out for over a year. I have yet to get someone to schedule time with me and say, this book's let me down. You need to make it right. And I, I attribute that to all the pre-work that I've done and all the efforts that I've done to help readers use these concepts and understand these concepts, I won't be upset if I do have to have that conversation. I'll learn a lot from it. Yeah. But I think it goes to show that often if we have a really good experience guarantee, we're spending a lot less time on recovery and a lot more time just on fulfilling our promises.
1: Yeah, that's it. That That, that goes to the fact that it's not just about having a guarantee. It's about making sure that Everything can tie to and deliver on that guarantee. That's it. And we talked about
0: service culture earlier. It it, it gets everybody in the organization focused on that same thing. Uh, here's right. the piece of the guarantee. I'm responsible for delivering. I don't want to just let my customers down. I don't want to let my coworkers down either because I know someone else is going to have to pick up for me. So I'm going to do a great job.
1: That's it. Making sure that you can tie it to not only your customer, but tying it to your coworkers as well. Love that. Well, Jeff, I have learned a lot from you today, but where can people go to learn more? Well, you can download uh, the first
0: chapter of the book and read about Bucky's, that brand that you and I love so much, at guaranteedexperience.com. And even though you can download that first chapter for free, my contact information is in that first chapter. Yeah. So I make it really easy for you or anybody else to reach out to me. And, and I'll tell you, I love hearing from, from readers because I learn so much from talking to people who are actually implementing these concepts or even aligning these concepts with the things that their organization are already doing well. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Go to guaranteedexperience.com, download that first chapter of the book, read about how awesome Bucky's is. And then reach out and, and let's start a conversation.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for providing that. And thank you for being open enough to provide your contact information to anybody. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I mean, you found me, right? So yeah, good that, things can happen when you, when you put your contact information out there. That's it. Cool. Well, Jeff, I have really enjoyed this. I'm so grateful for your time today. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jeff Toyster. So go and learn more from him at GuaranteedExperience.com. You'll get access to exercises and a workbook, and you can download the first chapter of the Guaranteed Customer Experience for free. But trust me, you'll want to go buy the entire book for yourself. And I highly recommend that you subscribe to Jeff's Customer Service Tip of the Week newsletter. It's just one short, simple tip to help you level up your customer service each and every week. You can sign up for his newsletter at toystersolutions.com tips. And hey, if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Sarah Ross. Sarah's an international keynote speaker and the founder of the leadership research firm Brain Amped. Sarah is transforming the future of work by using the power of brain science to amplify organizational vitality and by helping people work, lead, and succeed in healthy, high performing, human centric ways. And Sarah is now a best selling author of Dear Work Something Has to Change. Look, it's no secret that too many leaders and too many professionals. like they're stuck in a complicated work environment, running on fumes, overworked and underliving, and overwhelmed, even if you love the work you do, or at least used to. If that's you, trust me, you're not the only one. Thankfully, Sarah has the strategies to help you simplify all that. With her dear work lessons, she uses the power of brain science To show you how to boost your work vitality so you stand out, bringing your best, most energized self to your career, all without burning out. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Sarah's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple.